When we know that heaven is on our future calendar, we may not know when, but when we know someday it's on our calendar, it helps us deal with the present difficulties. Because we say, as hard as things can get in this world, guess what? I'm going to heaven. And after 583,362,572,263 perfect days of bliss in the perfect presence of God, I'm not going to remember these present (laughs) difficulties at all. Welcome to the Focus on the Family broadcast, helping you and your family thrive in Christ. Uh, John, here's a question. What's one thing that you think about in regards to heaven? Uh, You're asking me. Okay, so um, freedom? Freedom from sin and pains of life, wow. uh, light. How about sleep? I think we're going to be able to sleep in heaven. I really Heavenly hope so. Heavenly sleep. I yeah. like that. I think we'll be so excited we won't want to sleep. Okay. For the, at least the first 10,000 years. <laughs> Who knows? That's I don't good. know. But uh, those are good things, and it's nice to think about heaven. It that is. should be part of our daily routine about, mm-hmm. Lord, we're looking forward to it, because this place isn't where we want to be for eternity, mm-hmm. for sure. And, uh, you know, one of the, the great things in the New Testament, Book of Revelation, in fact, chapter 21, verse 4, where the Apostle John describes our encounters with God in the new heaven and the new earth, hmm. he writes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think that's pretty that's awesome. wonderful. Right? That's a favorite verse. And I'm looking forward to it. And from time to time, we've had folks come in and talk about what they think of heaven. Randy Alcorn has been here. But I'm so excited to talk with Lee Strobel, our guest today. Lee has not only an incredible testimony, but a great intellect and a wonderful demonstration of faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee is uh, a self-described atheist turned Christian. He's a best-selling author. He's been on this broadcast a number of times and currently serves as founding director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. I wish I were 24 again. I'd be at that, I'd be at that program. I'll bet we could get you up there if you want. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Lee's book, The Case for Heaven, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for Life After Death. Stop by the show notes for the details about the book or call us for your copy, 800, the letter A in the word family. Lee, welcome back. Thanks. I appreciate being here. It's always great to be with it's you It's so guys. good to have you and so fun just to talk about the Lord. It's yeah. the joy of the Lord to, to experience that, and you bring that every time you're here, so well, thank, thank you. you. I'm not sure your wife would say every day you come home. Maybe. Well, let's be real. Really? Does she always say that? We just had our 50th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank That's you. Wonderful. So uh, after 50 years, you know, things... Um... Hey, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, some people listening may not know your background, mm. so you wrote an incredible book, a bestseller, probably, you know, a defining work that you did. And I'm sure everybody, it's like being a movie star and you're known as that character. What do they call that in Hollywood when you're, that's what you're stereotyped as? Typecasting. And you probably get a little bit of that, but uh, the case for Christ. And what's the one minute, two minute version of the case for Christ and what what the Lord did in your heart as an atheist. Yeah, I was an atheist. I was a journalist. My background is in journalism and law, so I was a skeptical type person. I lived Boo, in, yeah, a journalist. I, Boo. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Man, have they yeah. lost street cred or what? Oh, my goodness. I mean, since you left the profession, it went down. There you go. But I mean, hit it. I don't know what to say. <laughs> 
But, um, yeah, I lived a very immoral life, a drunken, profane, Mm. narcissistic life, because I figured if there is no God, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if there is no judgment, if there is no ultimate accountability, then the most logical way for me to live my life uh, would be as a hedonist, someone Mm -hmm. who would just pursue pleasure. So that's what I did. Uh, My wife uh, was agnostic, didn't know what to think about God. Uh, she met a woman who was a Christian and a nurse. They became best friends, took her to church, answered her questions. And then Leslie came up to me one day and gave me the worst news an atheist husband could get. She said, I've decided to become a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, here it comes. I mean, yeah. I was going to walk out. I yeah. was going to divorce. So uh, she became a follower of Christ. And I thought if I use my journalism training and legal training, I could certainly disprove the linchpin of Christianity, which is the resurrection of Jesus, and rescue her from this cult that she's gotten involved. In. Right. And so I spent two years of my life using my journalism training and legal training to investigate historically the evidence for and against the resurrection of Jesus until November the 8th of 1981, when I realized in light of the av- avalanche of evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of Christianity, it would have taken more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Well, you know, mm. so often we in the Christian community almost, and I'm guilty of this, yeah. I flippantly will say that. Man, yeah. it takes more faith for you when I'm talking, especially to an atheist, right. agnostic, antagonist. Yeah. And, and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. And But it's true. It is true. You look at the resurrection. We've got, um, you know, was Jesus dead? Even the Journal of the American Medical Association says he was clearly dead after being crucified. Um, you know, we have an early account of his resurrection, including named eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses that's been dated back to within months of his death, too early to be a legend. We have an empty tomb that even the opponents of Jesus admitted was empty. And we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Mm. So we've got an avalanche of historical data. Well, and I love that attitude. Again, you you came at it to disprove it, yeah. and it won your heart over. It, it's, yeah. su- it's such it the story. My life. It's the story. Yeah. This yeah. is the good news. That's right. I mean, it played out in your life. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Leslie, it's just so funny that the yeah. Lord got to her, and, and boom. You know, I I think back, and as I say, we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. There's no way we would have lasted (laughs) that amount of time if I had been an atheist. Let's move into the story, uh, The Case for Heaven. It, this can be really abstract for people. Yeah. I mean, we. I was talking to our volunteer group here at Focus. Uh, one of them had passed away, one of our older volunteers. And, you know, there was the right uh, mourning of yes. that and it, the sadness of not having sure. him here. But I got up and addressed him and said, isn't that awesome? Yeah. I, I mean, is it, he's there. Yeah. It's This is incredible. Yeah. And some of them responded to that. Uh, yeah. Others were kind of looking at me like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but the joy of that transition, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, I'll tell you when it hit me. Uh, I was um, on my deathbed. Uh, my wife found me unconscious. Um, she called an ambulance. I woke up in the emergency room. I looked up into the face of the emergency room doctor, and he said, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. And then I fell unconscious again. Huh. So I had an unusual medical condition called hyponitremia, which is a severe drop in blood sodium. So I lingered between life and death for several days until they were able to save my life. How long ago was this? This was 12 years ago. Wow. And so um, when that happens, when you have a brush with death like that, and you don't know, am I going to close my eyes and open them in the next world? You don't know. This becomes very relevant, <laughs> you know. All of a sudden, the idea of heaven is not some ephemeral, uh, you know, vague kind of idea that you think about maybe once in a while. It becomes the dominant thought in your mind. 
And so I thought, you know, I believe based on the Bible as a Christian what happens when we die. But I'm also a skeptic, you know. You got it in your blood, I, I got it, your it's heart. It's in my DNA. I, yeah. I got it. So that's what launched me on this two-year investigation to investigate the evidence for the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what I found was that science and uh, history and all these other disciplines support what the Bible tells us about the afterlife. But the, the one thing that I love the most, you know, I looked at all this stuff that um, uh, is written in Scripture about the afterlife and so forth. My favorite metaphor, you know, there's a lot of metaphors and figures of speech used because we can't understand. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived of what God has in store for those who love him. Now, the Bible tells us, but often it's in language couched a bit in figures of speech because we can't comprehend it yet. Yeah. And But so the, the metaphor I, I love the most is Jesus, uh, when he used the metaphor of home. Mm. You know, he says, there are many rooms in my father's home. Mm. And I, I thought about the fact that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a third world country, maybe in difficult conditions. I remember after I became a Christian, I went to India to share my yeah. faith. And I'm living out of a knapsack, sleeping on the ground and eating strange foods. And life was difficult and primitive. And, and you, you begin to develop this homesickness, this desire for home. And then when you finally get home and you walk in the front door and you climb into your own bed, it is such a place of comfort and warmth and love and grace. And Jesus is saying, that's the image. Yeah. I want you to remember, that is your mm-hmm. home. Heaven is your real home. So when you think of home, think of heaven. Uh, and, and that just makes That's me... That's great. I make, love it. gives a sense of anticipation. Yeah, especially if you've done something like that, a mission yeah. trip or something. Right. I mean, I, I, I believe that's the creation of the ugly American because we're so <laughs> spoiled in yes. what the Lord has blessed us with, our comfortable beds, our yeah. comfortable homes, our yeah. heaters, our everything. And then you go and experience something like that, right. sleeping on the street, that you know much of this world does yeah and it it should give you deep appreciation yeah um let's get even deeper into it yeah Uh, in the book you talk about and this is what i love about you lee is just that interview idea you you, you're the reporter on the beat (laughs) so you're going out to talk to some of the world's best stories people that have experienced amazing things clay jones jumps out so tell us about clay jones what did he share with you that caught your attention? Well, Clay Jones, fascinating guy. He, when he was younger, um, thought he was dying. He was diagnosed with a serious form of cancer um, and had to cope with that and deal with that until finally uh, it was discovered that this was not a virulent form of cancer and that he was going to survive. So it was kind of an answer to prayer there that he would survive. But he's also always wondered about this fear of death. Which and, he had. Which he had. And, yeah. you know, uh, he wrote a book called Immortal, which is about the fear of death. We all have it to some degree. In fact, um, uh, Hebrews 2 verse uh, 15 says that many people become slaves to the fear of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, King David feared death. Um, and the Ecclesiastes tells us that eternity was planted in our hearts. So there's something in us that wants to live forever and that we fear this idea of dying prematurely and so forth. So um, how do we cope with that? You know, yeah. we cope with it. Um, we get depressed. A famous atheist wrote a column in which he said that uh, atheists don't like to talk about it, but there's widespread depression and even suicide among atheists because of the hopelessness involved. Right. So we get depressed. We try to delay it. You know, we figure if we eat better, if we exercise more, maybe we'll never die. But did you know that a Harvard demographer computed that even if all cancers were cured tomorrow, the average lifespan in America would increase by only three years? Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. It, it, we it's die of something inevitable. Else. That's, That's right. That's the point. It, it is inevitable. 
But we do have this mindset, Lee, that it's weird that, you know, especially if you're not near that, you haven't had that experience. Yeah. I mean, going down the hospital in a gurney and the doctor telling you you're right. a couple steps away from dying, that's different. Yes. But if you're reasonably healthy and doing life normally yeah. and getting out and doing things, you don't think about it. How many times do we go to a funeral and we don't say it, but in the back of our minds, we're thinking, poor old Uncle Tom, you know, he died, but I'm glad it's never going to happen to me. Yeah, it's like tick-tock, tick-tock. Yes. It's coming. It's coming, but we don't like to acknowledge that. And we think, you know, some people think um, I can live on through my accomplishments. That's why some criminals uh, um, they do go terrible things yeah, to, to, be, lead, to have their name remembered. Wow. You know, why did Mark David Chapman kill John Lennon? He said he wanted a piece of his fame. Um, some people have big families because they want to be remembered by the, through the generations. But the truth is, most people can't even remember the names of their great-great-grandparents. Right. I don't. Right. I don't know their names. I'm with you. And, and so um, I think there's a lot of ways that people try to live on without God. Now, let me ask you that question. Maybe someone who doesn't know the Lord is watching on YouTube or listening, um, and they may be refuting this a little bit. Mm. Why, why generally do all people, people of faith too, but people without faith, fear death? What yeah. is that fear in us? If, if it's all organic, let's exactly. go to the agnostic or the atheist side. If, if you know it's going to happen and it's scientific and it's all neurochemistry and you know who cares, right. why do you fear it? Right. You know, when I was an atheist, I thought that when I died, it was like the refrigerator going out, uh, the light going out in the refrigerator when you close the door. Boom, it just goes out. That's it. Does it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, does it really? Does Good it question. Really? Yeah. There's a skeptic for you. <laughs> but um, so I think people try to soft pedal it and say, oh, it's just going to be like, uh, you know, you, you didn't exist for thousands of years and you existed for a short period of time. Now you're just going to not exist again. So it's no yeah. big deal. Um, but that's just ways that people are trying to mitigate it and 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 make it seem like it's more palatable than it really is. We have a uh, an innate fear of death, and the only cure for it, according to the Bible, according to Hebrews, is Jesus. A yeah. robust view of Jesus, who offers us hope, who offers us eternal life, who offers us heaven. That's our real hope. Well, we're talking about big things and uh, real things on today's episode of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Lee Strobel is our guest, and uh, there's so much in his book, The Case for Heaven, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for Life After Death. Uh, get a copy. Uh, there's so much more in there than we can get to today. Uh, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by the show notes for details. Lee, you have another... what? sounded like a sad story, Ralph Lewis. What what can we learn, and what did you intend for us to learn putting his story in the book? Yeah, I mean, here's a case of someone whose um, uh, family went through a health crisis uh, and really, through whatever you want to call it, providence or whatever, found recovery, and yet decided that, you know what, I just don't believe that uh, there's a God, and I don't believe that there is a consciousness, that we're just computers, we're just um, neurons in brains that, that that flash and so forth, and there's no real human consciousness involved. So so I think there's a lot of scientists and uh, who come to the conclusion that we are just our brain. Uh, we have no consciousness. Uh, we have no soul. Um, and so I went to a PhD in neuroscience from Cambridge University, Dr. Sharon Dirichs, who wrote a book called Am I Just My Brain? And the conclusion of that book is no, you're not just your brain. You have a soul as well. We are a body and we are a soul or a consciousness. 
And uh, that explains a lot when we think in those terms. But a lot of people who are atheists and skeptics can't accept that because they're materialists. They believe only in that which we can touch. And so they say, well, we must just be our brains. Um, no, there's something immaterial. That is a consciousness, the, 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 the seat of our volition and our emotions and our identity is in our consciousness. And so why is that important? It's important because uh, the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Uh, Jesus told the repentant criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That means there's really two uh, phases to heaven. The first phase is called the uh, immediate heaven or the intermediate state. That's when we die and our soul separates from our body and continues to live on, either in the presence of the Lord or separated from him in Hades. Um, the second phase comes at the end of history when Jesus returns, when we are reunited with our resurrected bodies, when we go through final judgment, and then we spend eternity in a very physical heaven or a very physical hell. Yeah. So. For that to be true, we must have a consciousness that survives our clinical death. And uh, so I did a lot of research in that area uh, to try to determine, can we have confidence that when we die, our soul continues to live on? Let me ask you this question uh, related to the Cambridge professor. Yes. I believe it's fair to say there's a growing uh, cohort of physicians who are now moving in this direction, yes. that there is something beyond the material. Yes. And it's rather exciting, once again, where science is actually catching up right. to Scripture. Right. That's always good. But I also appreciate the openness of psychologists and others who are skeptics, mm -hmm. like you used to be, sure. who are saying, no, there is something here. I yeah. mean, and they now have uh, studies that show that people that pray mm -hmm. when they're in a medical crisis and when people pray for them around their bed, yeah. that there is a measurable benefit to them. Yes. And they can't ignore it. Yes. And I, I think that's a great indication for us as Christians and hopefully a stepping off place for the atheist to say, okay, maybe I need to think more deeply about this, that science is proving that God is real. Yes. And, you know, you look at what she did, uh, this, this uh, uh, doctor of uh, neurosurgery and, and neuroscience, when she would investigate the brain, she would see regions of the brain light up when certain thoughts took place. But those aren't the thoughts. They're correlated to the thoughts. In other words, um, you can't open a cell and say, oh, there's Jim Daly. No, um, our consciousness, our identity, our soul is distinct from our physical brain and yet interacts with our physical brain. Uh, one of the ways we know is um, uh, try to describe the aroma of coffee. Right, it's impossible. You can't, you can't do it. I mean, you could describe the chemical makeup of caffeine. You could describe um, how coffee is grown and how your body processes it, but that doesn't get you close to what it really smells like. You have to experience it, and that's what the consciousness does. It is the, the seed of our experience. Um, if there were a woman named Mary who knew, it was a scientist and knew everything about the human eye, how it functions, how the optic nerve works, uh, all the details about the, but she was blind. Hmm. What happens if all of a sudden she received her eyesight? Would she learn anything new about vision? Well, of course she yeah. would, because now she would experience vision. Mm -hmm. That's why you can't reduce um, our, our experience to just the physical neurons of the brain. And it makes sense. It, it really does. does. Yeah. Um, she also went on to tell you a story about a woman who had a near-death experience. Yes. What was that story about? Pamela Reynolds. Yeah. One of the most documented experiences. Now, 
And Jim, I was a skeptic about near-death experiences. Um, yeah. But I learned that there are 900 scholarly studies done in medical and scientific journals over the last 40 years on near-death experiences. This is a very well-studied area. And Pamela Reynolds' case is well-studied. Pamela Reynolds was a 35-year-old housewife from Atlanta, Georgia. She had a brain aneurysm. She had to undergo a very unusual operation. So they take her in. They put her under deep anesthetic. They taped her eyes shut. They put earplugs in her ears that had the equivalent of 100 decibels of noise, which is the equivalent of a subway train going right next to you. Then they taped those earplugs into her ears, and then they put tape and gauze all over her ears so she couldn't hear. Um, She's put under deep anesthetic. They begin to saw into her head to do the brain surgery. She says later, that's when my spirit, my consciousness, separated from my body. And she said, I was watching um, the entire surgery from outside my body. She was able to identify what the saw looked like. She was even able to tell us how the different blades of the saw were kept in a certain kind of container. Hmm. She was even able to identify what one nurse said to another nurse. One nurse said, her, her, we have a problem. Her arteries are too small. And the other nurse said, try the other leg. Um, how could she have heard that? How could she have seen this? Right. And, and then, get this, her body is cooled to 60 degrees, her heart is stopped, her, uh, uh, the, the bed is tilted, and every drop of blood is drained from her head. She has zero brain waves. She has zero heartbeat. She is clinically dead. And yet, This is the point at which she said, no, 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 I was fully alive. And she describes going like in an elevator. She describes meeting dead relatives, having conversations with them, um, very elaborate things that happened to her during this time that she was physically dead. Um, Then she describes coming back and saying, I didn't want to get back into my body. It looked like it was hit by a train. I mean, my goodness. You know, and then finally she did get reunited with her body and she was revived. Hmm. Um, How do you explain those things uh, if they weren't really an out-of-body experience? And so in my book, I document numerous cases where people either see things or hear things during a near-death experience that would be impossible for them to see or hear unless they really did separate, their consciousness separate from their body. And I'm so, again, so impressed that you as a skeptic come at it with that kind of degree of, eh, prove it to me. Yeah. And one of your good friends is uh, John Burke, who right. we've had on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. He's become a friend of mine as well. Yeah. And he's done a lot in this area of, of researching and right. interviewing. Uh, he told me the other day i think it was 1800 now yeah interviews that he's done 1800 1900 of near-death experience people that are clinically dead and he he that's a very specific requirement that you are determined to have no brainwave and no heartbeat you're clinically dead and one of the things that john has determined and this was a breakthrough john is a christian pastor as well of a church in austin texas and he determined that when you look at the commonality of what happens in these near-death experiences you don't look at how people interpret it because people interpret things according to their worldview look at what actually takes place it is consistent with christian in theology. Yeah. That is a real breakthrough, that kind of research. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't I don't build my theology based on near-death experiences, but it does confirm and corroborate the Bible telling us the truth when it says we have a soul and then it continues to live on after our physical demise. And I, I do love that. He says, I, I ask the subject just yeah. to tell me what they experienced, not the interpretation of what they experienced. Yes. And that's great. Yeah. This is what I saw. And then all those commonalities line up. Exactly. That's another great book. Imagine in heaven. Yes. Uh, tell us about Ian McCormick. 
what was his story and how did it relate in his near-death experience? Yeah, Ian was uh, stung multiple times by box jellyfish, probably the most poisonous animal on mm. the planet, um, and was about to die. Um, uh, there's no way you survive that, but he did somehow. And in the midst of it, he uh, had a vision of his mother who always told him, call out to Jesus if you're in trouble. And he called out to Jesus. Jesus rescued him from that situation. Um, And uh, again, we see this in several different cases of people who have, some of them have a hellish experience Hmm. in which they've called out to Jesus and been rescued. Mention that one because that was my next question. Yes, Uh, Howard Storm. Yeah, Howard Storm was a art professor and chairman of the art department of a secular university. He was an atheist. He was in the hospital. He was dying and um, was beckoned by what turned out to be demons. Um, he went with them. His, his, his um, consciousness accompanied them. Uh, and they assaulted him. He said, I was reduced to roadkill. He said, no horror movie could ever capture how cruel they were to me. And in the midst of it, I called out to Jesus. And this ball of light came and Jesus rescued me. And this was so radical to him. This is so real to him that when he finally recovered, he not only renounces atheism, he not only resigned his tenured position at the university, um, but he went to seminary, got his degree, and became not just a Christian, but a pastor of a, of a small little church in the Midwest. I mean, that, that should be evidence. Yeah, exactly. This was not so, just a dream. Somebody's told me, oh, he had a dream. No, no, no. That's a changed That's life. That's a changed life. Nobody has a dream and, and changes life like that. And uh, he'll tell you that it, it did not have the characteristics of You know, in so many ways, uh, we tend to, I think, complicate what we read in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, these are the apostles, the, yeah. the big letter A. They were supernatural people. They weren't. They were like us. Right. Exactly like us. And so you, I kind of uh, compare that experience of this man yeah. who had this experience and became a committed Christian yeah. to like Paul. Yeah. I mean, Paul had this blinding light yeah. who said, why That's are you right. persecuting me, Paul? Yeah. I'm Jesus, the one you persecute. Yeah. And then the Spirit told him you know, to stay there. And then the Lord spoke to another man, yeah. Ananias, to come and speak to Paul. And of course, Ananias is like, what? Yeah. He's killing Christians, <laughs> right, Lord. Exactly. Why do you want me to go talk to him? Yes. I love that realness of, are you serious? Yeah. And then he goes and speaks to him and boom, Paul becomes a prolific contributor, yeah. obviously, and leader in the faith. And this is not unusual in these near-death experiences to have that kind of radical 180-degree life change. About 24% of cases are negative. They're hellish experiences. Yeah, and I guess, and, and I talked to John about that, yeah. and he said, you know, what's interesting is those people become Christians at a much faster rate oh, yeah. than the middle ground people. Oh, yeah. Like, they are convinced. Yes. You know, they have that experience. Yes. Also with John, and this is a good place for us to end here uh, for today. We're going to come back next time if yeah. you're willing. Sure. We'll feed you lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but come back and keep the discussion going. But you had a good discussion with John when he told you that his goal behind sharing these stories is much deeper. What, what did John share with you? You know, it's interesting. John, like me, is a very nuts and boltsy kind of person. He's, He's an engineer. engineer yep. So he thinks in terms of logic and reason. And I asked him, what's your motive in doing this? What do you want to do? And he started to cry. Hmm. He got tears in his eyes. He said, I just want people to know there is hope. There is redemption. There's eternal life. There's, there's, there's a life beyond this, that we can know it, that we can experience it with Jesus forever. And he, he just, he has no other goal, as I have no other goal, other than to see people come into a life-changing and eternity-altering experience with Jesus Christ. 
and to spend eternity with him in heaven. Yeah, Lee, this has been so good. I, you could probably see I get excited about this topic. I mean, I That's because you're it. like me. You're getting older. Yeah, that, it's getting closer. <laughs> right. No, but I just think, man, I, I struggle with somebody who can't open their eyes yeah. to see the evidence in front of them. And even, I just wish everybody could have an experience like both you and John Burke have had to sit with somebody or many somebodies yeah. who have experienced these things. You can't walk away unchanged. Right. You shouldn't. Right. walk away unchanged and you know through the power of media we get to do this through youtube and you know 2000 radio stations and go global and i so appreciate you being with us Thanks. so people can taste yeah. what you're saying mm-hmm. and i love your book you've we can't cover it all but sure. the case for heaven you should get the book <laughs> i mean man why not this book will give you an idea about what you're going to experience and what is likely in uh, your relationship with christ When you have a brush with death like that, and you don't know, am I going to close my eyes and open them in the next world? You don't know. This becomes very relevant. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, the idea of heaven is not some ephemeral, uh, you know, vague kind of idea that you think about maybe once in a while. It becomes the dominant thought in your mind. Welcome to the Focus on the Family broadcast, helping you and your family thrive in Christ. You know, John, Lee is so good at digging deeper, trying to find that treasure. And he did that as a journalist. Uh, And in essence, he applied those very skills to, at first, to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, only to find that he was overwhelmed with the evidence for it. Mm. And we heard that last time. If you missed that, get the download or get the app for your smartphone. It was really good, and uh, you want to hear it. And today we're going to continue that discussion uh, related to his book, The Case for Heaven. And I'm telling you, I, I know someone's out there going, Jim, you sound so excited about this. I am, and I'm animated because I think this is the whole ball of wax, so to speak, you know, if, if we're going to just kind of get through the motions here on earth and not be enthusiastic about what's a what's ahead of us, getting to heaven, interacting with the Lord personally, hopefully being able to ask questions like, how do galaxies work? Mm-hmm. What was that one? You know, I, my mind goes everywhere, and I'm like a little child. I mean, I am looking forward to it, mm-hmm. and I want you to be looking forward to it as well. Not with fear and intrepidation, but trust and faithfulness like a child. He's our Abba Father. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Yeah. Well, our guest today is pretty compelling when it comes to the research he's found. Uh, Lee Strobel has been here a number of times. He serves as the founding director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. Uh, He's a best-selling author, and we're talking today about a book he's written called The Case for Heaven, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for Life After Death. Stop by the show notes to find out more or give us a call. 800, the letter A in the word family. 
Lee, welcome back. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. <laughs> I love it. And I love the story. And for those that didn't hear yesterday with Leslie, your wife, coming mm-hmm. to Christ first, coming home saying, well, guess what? I've become a Christian. Yeah, you oh, going, golly. no. <laughs> and uh, that did uh, apply a little disruption into your marriage. Oh, man. No kidding. But, you know, at the same time, I, I love the challenge that you put to people who aren't believers to say, well, just go disprove it or prove it for yeah. yourself. What if it is? You know, it, it's a interesting comment I had. I was in Israel doing a trip with Ray Vanderlaan. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember talking to a person, a Jewish person, who would help him set things up, Boaz. And I remember walking along the trail with him. I said, Boaz is a Jewish person. He was not a Christian, not a believer. I said, what, what's missing in Jesus's resume? Mm. <laughs> and good I remember, yeah. And he went, you know, I said, you know, yeah. goodness, kindness, love, mercy. I said, what, for the Jewish people, I mean, what, what's not in the resume? Yeah. And he said, Hmm, never had that question. It's a good question. Let me ask my wife tonight. (laughs) So he he went home. So the next morning we're on the trail walking along. I said, Boaz, what'd your wife say? And he said, well, we're not saying he wasn't the Messiah. We're just saying as Jewish people, we got a high degree of skepticism and we're not sure. Mm. I said, well, that that's a step in the right direction. So I, you know, I just, that's what told him I said to agnosticism yeah, right there. Yeah, I yeah. said I just hope you know after you do these tours a few times, yeah. maybe that light will come on. And yeah. it, again, it's just such an amazing thing. What what is missing for that atheist or that non-believer in Jesus's resume that yeah. that they need in there to prove that he was the Messiah? And for me, as a, a journalist trained in law, you know, who has investigated history. Uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of history tell me that Jesus didn't just claim to be the Son of God, he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when, when in uh, John 10, verse 3, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, the Greek word for one there is not masculine, it's neuter, which means Jesus was not saying I and the Father are the same person. He was saying I and the Father are the same thing. We're one in nature, we're one in essence. And the audience understood what he was saying. They picked up stones to kill him because he said, you, you're just a man, and you're claiming to be God. Right. But you know what? Anybody, I could claim to be God. You could claim to be God. John, well, maybe not John. <laughs> Anybody could claim to be God. But if Jesus claimed to be God, died, and then three days later rose from the dead, that's pretty good evidence he's telling the truth. Yeah, whoops, maybe right. he was. Exactly. And uh, yeah. that's the whole point, right? Don't miss it. Right. Don't live this entire life. I remember being in college and thinking that. That's what got me mm. back to the Lord. I you know, accepted Christ at 15. I'm sitting in a philosophy class mm. going, I'm learning all these things about Aristotle, Plato, all that. And I said, I should actually read the Bible uh, before I reject it, yeah. right? And I was just on the bubble with all of it. I didn't wow. know to believe it or not believe it. So I, that was it. I hung up all the books at school. And for that semester, I got through it. Mm. But I spent most of my time reading scripture. And boom, wow. that's when the Lord said, yeah. And you know what the relevance is today? People think, okay, well, okay, you come to that conclusion, great. How does that, well, how's that really relevant today? It's relevant because if heaven is real, uh, which I believe it is, and that's what my book is about, that heaven is real. If that is true, it's like having a vacation on your calendar. So in other words, if, 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 <laughs> you're, if you're at work and your boss is breathing down your neck and you've got a million projects and things are difficult and the family's going crazy and things are hard right now, things are difficult right now, but you know 
in three weeks, I got a vacation in Hawaii coming up. My wife and <laughs> yeah, I are going to no get kidding. away to Hawaii. It makes the present difficulties easier to get through. Mm. And when we know that heaven is on our future calendar, we may not know when, but when we know someday it's on our calendar, it helps us deal with the present difficulties. Because mm-hmm. we say, as hard as things can get in this world, guess what? I'm going to heaven. And after 583,362,572,263 perfect days of bliss in the perfect presence of God, I'm not going to remember these present (laughs) difficulties at all. Wow, that's a big number. (laughs) How'd you come up with that? That's just getting going. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Mm. Um, Lee, let's get into the content of the book. In Mm -hmm. there, you have a partner you've worked with for years, uh, Chad Meister. Yes. It kind of comes down to Christian worldview. That's what we're describing. I know even now people are saying, ah, it's an antiquated word, worldview. But it's understanding the world through a Christian perspective. Right. That's all that that means. Chad has a really good uh, pyramid yes. to describe this. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, now Chad was a guy who, an engineer, who was <laughs> on the verge of suicide, about wow. to pull the trigger and blow his brains out. Um, and God supernaturally intervened. He became a Christian. And now he's one of the world's leading philosophers um, on uh, subjects of faith on the whole planet. Wow. Uh, but yeah, he has what he calls the, uh, the heaven pyramid. So picture a pyramid. On the base of the pyramid is the question of truth. What is truth? Well, we know what truth is. Aristotle told us. Plato told us. Truth is whatever it is that corresponds with reality. That's hmm. what truth is. Then you go to the next level, worldviews. Worldview is the, the lens through which we view the world. There's only three possible worldviews. There is um, atheism, there is theism, the belief in a God, and there is polytheism, belief in many gods. Those are the three, oh, really the only three basic yeah. worldviews. And so what we do in the book is we analyze those three worldviews from the area uh, perspective of livability and logic. And we find that Atheism doesn't stack up because under atheism, there is no free will. Well, we don't act as if we don't have free will. Under atheism, there is no objective morality. Well, we don't act as if there's no objective morality. There's always a line. There's always a line. And so atheism doesn't make sense. Polytheism doesn't make sense because it blurs um, the distinction between good and evil, between cruelty and non-cruelty. But we don't live that way. And so what emerges is theism, belief in a God. That takes us to the next level, which is theism. Then we look at theism, and we see that there is evidence from cosmology, physics, biochemistry, different areas that support the truth that there is a God. And then that brings us to Revelation, the Bible, which is unique in its reliability. And then that brings us toward the tip of the pyramid. We get to the resurrection, the evidence that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, but backed it up by returning from the dead. And then ultimately the peak of the pyramid, which is the gospel, that uh, we can't earn our way to heaven, that uh, forgiveness and eternal life is a free gift of grace. So that kind of forms a, a pyramid Uh, that points toward heaven. And in the book, we go through that pyramid and show that the only logical and livable worldview is that of Christianity. It's so amazing to think of the distinction with Christianity. And I've had scholars say it to me this way. Christianity is the only faith where it's God reaching to man. All other faiths are doing things to earn your way up to God. All of them. Yes. Uh, pray five times a day, live this perfectly Give clean alms life, to the poor. alms to the poor, all yeah. those. 
uh, works, as we yes. would call them, the deeds that are necessary to earn your way in. Yes. And that's not, Christianity is the one that says, hey, I don't need your deeds. That's right. I'm going to do it for you as a gift. It's the only worldview, it's the only um, uh, religion on the planet that is based on what we call the, the, the done plan. Every other religion is based on the do plan. Huh. You must do something to try to earn your way to God. Christianity is the done plan. Yeah. Jesus has done it for us and offers forgiveness as a free gift. Okay, as a former atheist yeah. yourself, why do people not want to investigate that deal? Well, it's a good question. Is it pride? I think it is. I think it's because they have lifestyles that they know would contradict the teachings of the Bible, and they don't want to give these things up. Uh, I will tell you, Jim, I was a happy drunk. Um, when I was an atheist, um, I lived a hedonistic life, an immoral life, and I liked it. I was I was a good drunk. I would go into bars. I was the friendliest guy in the bar. Buy everybody drinks, and and that was kind of my hobby was getting drunk. Um, I didn't particularly want to give that up. Uh, I knew if I became a Christian, I would need to, and yet the evidence for Christianity was overwhelming to the point where I the only logical thing I could do would be to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And then my desires changed. Then God changed my attitudes, my perspective, my worldview, my attitude, my Your priorities, appetites. my appetites, everything uh, for the good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. You know, so often, again, we get mixed up in what sounds like antiquated language. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are the idols in our lives. That's right. That's what the Lord's referring to about an idol, something right. more important to you than me. Right. And again, I just want to challenge, I think the reason I'm inserting this is I just want to reach that person that's going, I don't believe any of this. Or, yeah. You know, I love sitting at a bar. Yeah, and, right. You know, but man, think about the the really important things in life. Okay. Um, in fact, you have a man in the book called, his name is Scott McKnight. Yes. Um, what was happening with Scott and yeah. his heavenly experience? Scott is a uh, theologian, well-known New Testament scholar, has written a, a slew of great books about God. And uh, I went to him because he had written a book about heaven. And I said, let's try to clear up some of the misconceptions about heaven. You know, what are some of the common questions that people have that I have about heaven? And so I sat down with him for a day and just peppered him with uh, uh, tough questions about what the afterlife is going to be like. Because he said, you know, a lot of people think the afterlife is some ethereal experience, you know, where ghostly figures were on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. And he said, no, 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 this is a new heaven and a new earth. This is the renewal of all that is good. This is a very physical experience that we will have. We have resurrected bodies, and we will be uh, participating in festivals and in in um, uh, joyous experiences in the presence of God. Uh, Lee, one of the major points of apologetics is that with good comes evil. This idea that yeah. we know good because there's evil. Yes. Uh, kind of go through that. I think you met with a man named Paul Copen. Yeah, Paul Copan. He's a philosopher at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic University, great Christian philosopher. And I talked, to, I have two chapters in my book about hell because I figured I can't write about the afterlife hmm. and not deal with the alternative, with right. hell. And you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about hell. Again, the Bible uses a lot of figurative language to try to explain to us things that we can't even comprehend yet. And so it uses imagery of flames and darkness. Well, both of those can't be true at the same time because if the uh, the flames would light up the darkness, uh, but they're intended to convey to us that hell is the worst possible experience that anybody could ever possibly find themselves in. And, and so the, the Bible uses these kind of metaphors. Hell is not a torture chamber. It is not a place where God tortures us, but it is a place of torment 
which means that this comes from within. It is a regret. It is a, um, a, a despair that takes place when we realize that we have squandered our lives and we have walked away from God. And, you know, the truth is hell is made up of people for whom heaven would be hell because they didn't want anything to do with God. This, this is what they have come huh. to um, experience and to uh, accept as being their fate. Um, and yet they do it with a sense of anger and a sense of yeah. gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. You know, a, a mentor of mine when I was in my 20s said to me, hell, in his uh, description, was where the absolute characteristics of God do not exist. Yeah, There exactly. is no love. There is no joy. There right. is no peace. Only weeping. Only sorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's the torment you're talking exactly about. exactly right. That yeah. God's character is not present there. Yes. Yes, and we that. can't imagine. What would yeah. that be like? We see in this world, yes, we have a world that is sin-stained. We know that sin has affected our but world. But his presence is but around. His, his presence is still there here. There is love. There, there is, is joy. Exactly. Yeah. Take all that away. It's hard to even imagine what that would be like, but it's got to be the worst possible situation. Mm. Well, this is a heavy topic that we're talking about today, joy-filled as we talk about heaven, uh, pretty heavy as we talk about hell. If we're touching a, a nerve for you, so to speak, uh, and you have questions, give us a call. We'd be happy to talk to you, point you to resources. We have some free online things. Uh, we also have Lee Strubel's book, The Case for Heaven, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for Life After Death. Uh, we're a phone call away. That number is 800, the letter A in the word family. 800-232-6459, or you can find details and help uh, at our website. The link is in the show notes. Lee, let me throw you the zinger question. Yeah. I mean, this is it. Uh, <laughs> if God is good, why would he send people to hell? You've touched on that, but yeah. I want to I phrase the question for the skeptic listening. Sure. Or you can even include, if there is a good God, then why do people suffer? Why do children die? Uh, yeah. Take any of those or all three of those. Well, I don't think God does send people to hell. We send ourselves to hell. Uh, we make the decision to not follow Christ, to ignore his gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I mean, my goodness, what could God have possibly done other than send his own son to die a torturous death to pay the penalty we deserved for the sins we've committed so that we could be offered forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. And yet some people say, no, 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 thank you. Don't want it. Not interested. I'd rather live my life in the way that I want to live it. And so we send ourselves to hell. Um, uh, and I think that's an important distinction. And it's bold, but it's accurate. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a free gift. You that's can't, right. You can't get there and say, you didn't give me a chance. Exactly. The uh, Lee, in that regard, uh, when you look at where we're at with technology in yes. the world today, I mean, I know there's you know wonderful efforts of trying to get the gospel, at least, those are the four first books of the New Testament, yeah. the story of Jesus. Right in every language and in every tribal language, right. and they are making progress. Yes. I know the Greens from Hobby Lobby are invested in that in a big right. way with the Museum of the Bible, but there is a big effort underway to reach that point because the scripture actually says yes. that this must happen before things begin. History is consummated, Yeah, right. and so bang, I mean, they are working toward doing that, I think, in the next you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. 
And in that regard, the yeah. point and the reason I'm even talking about yeah. this is that people have the excuse they don't know. Well, that's true. And Romans 1 verse 20 says we're all without excuse because we can all see by creation the power and the wonder of God. Yeah. We look up at the stars at night and we think there must be a God. Um, uh, but, you know, nobody, nobody goes to hell because they lack information. Um, uh, I believe that anyone, anywhere, at any time, in any culture who reaches out uh, with the light that they do have and seeks after the one true God will be given an opportunity in some way to respond to him. Yeah. There's some theologians, and I write about this in my book, I'm not necessarily in this camp, but there are some theologians who believe that those who in this world did not get an opportunity to hear the gospel, uh, or maybe even a child or whatever, or someone who's mentally impaired and can't understand the gospel, mm. that they will get a post-mortem um, post opportunity to hear the gospel. In other words, mm. after death, they would get a chance to hear the gospel. Um, interesting question. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, we are appointed once to die and then the judgment, but doesn't necessarily mean immediately then the judgment. Right. So some believe that that might be an explanation for what might happen to someone who lives on some remote island who doesn't get to hear the gospel. Might God um, provide an opportunity either right before death or immediately after death for them to hear the gospel? Um, that's That's been true of some of those near-death experiences. John, yes, John Burke, who we talked about last time, talked about that, where yeah. uh, Muslims are having that experience, where they're Absolutely. having a near-death experience, and then Jesus appears to them. Yep. I think in his book, he talks about one who comes back, becomes a Christian, his yep. wife divorces him, <laughs> because, yep. you know, what are you doing? Yep. Uh, but again, powerful testimonies of that. So I don't right. know, theologically. Yeah. But, you but know, we the, can trust God. He is loving. He is yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And well, to be honest with you, I'm in the middle of the night. I'm listening. Jean likes to listen to audiobooks, and yeah. she falls asleep before chapter one ends. <laughs> I get hooked. I'm into chapter seven. It's two in the morning. And then the next night, Jean says, Jean will say, I kind of fell asleep fast. Can we listen to that again? <laughs> sure. So I'm going to hear. But there's that one story. It really caught me. And I said, Lord, that seems unfair that this particular person, this Muslim, had the opportunity in that near-death experience mm -hmm. to experience you yeah. and comes back convicted, becomes yeah. a Christian, loses his family because of that. Be he became a pastor. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I remember thinking, Lord, that seems unfair. And what I heard in my spirit, I mean, it's very convicting yeah. and embarrassing that it was, oh, do you set the boundaries of my grace? Mm. We don't know all these things. Right. It's don't. not explicit. We don't. we don't know. And what's interesting, even Martin Luther apparently believed in the possibility of a post-mortem opportunity to mm. hear the gospel. That's interesting. It is. Uh, Lee, we wanted, before we end here, yeah. uh, we want to talk about Luis Palau, your relationship yeah. with him. Um, talk about your time with him and what what you saw in his zeal for heaven. Mm. Yeah, you know, Luis Palau, of course, the great evangelist who had shared his faith with a billion people during his lifetime, and he was dying, and he was my hero and my friend, so I went out to visit him. I had the last interview with him before he died, and um, it was a powerful interview. I asked him if he was afraid of death, and he said, you know, I'm not really afraid of death. He said, the Bible makes it clear to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He said, I'm ready to go. My bags are packed and so forth. He said his dad, who died when Luis was 10, showed him how to die with mm. a hymn in his heart and scripture on his lips. But Luis said something before he died that I will take with me to the grave. Um, he looked up at me and he said, Lee, I can tell you from personal experience that when all is said and done, when you get to the end of your life, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. Mm -hmm. I thought, whoa, 
that's and and that means different things for different people. Yeah. You know, it means speaking up in a social setting that's maybe uncomfortable to share the gospel with someone. It means maybe taking a social risk, inviting someone to Easter services or Christmas services at church or whatever. But uh, are we being courageous for Christ? Um, and I said, um, Luis, if you could send a message back from heaven to every Christian on planet Earth, what do you think it would say? And he said, I think it would say, go for it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean go for it? He said, go for it. Tell people the good news. He said, the Holy Spirit is your partner. His job is to convict him of sin. Let him do his job. But you, you can bring him the best news in the world, that there is redemption, there is hope, there is eternal life. And he said, I would just say to my Christian friends, go for it. Let me ask you right here, though. There's yeah. got to be a person that's saying, maybe, okay, the evidence is there. I'll believe Lee because he was this investigative journalist and he's done the hard work. And he's proven it to himself. He convinced himself that Jesus is who he said he was. But you don't know who I am. Mm. You don't know what I've done. Yeah. You don't know the depth of my sin. Yeah. Speak to that person at yeah. the end here to say, you're okay. Yeah. You know, um, Philip Yancey, the great uh, Christian writer, once said, uh, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you because God is love. Mm. And yes, you may have lived a sinful life. Guess what? So did I. And I lived a hedonistic, um, immoral, drunken, profane, narcissistic life. Um, but I found forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. And he not only redeemed me and opened the doors of heaven for me, he changed my life in this world. It gave me new perspective, new worldview, new attitudes, new relationships, new priorities, to the point where I go, why would I ever want to go back to that life I was living before? So true. So, you know, the Bible is 800,000 words. It's a big book, but you can sum it all up in one verse, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn, what we deserve is death or separation from God because of our sin, our wrongdoing. But, it says... The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The forgiveness and eternal life is a free gift of his grace. And it, we receive it like we receive any gift. We receive it out of an attitude of repentance and faith. And when we do that, we become a child of God forever. Uh, John um, says in his gospel, um, um, believe plus receive equals become. In other words, um, as many as believed him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And that forms an equation of what it means to become a child of God, to believe, but also to receive this free gift of grace. And then you become a child of God forever, mm -hmm. and the doors of heaven are flung open for you, and Jesus is waiting to embrace you and welcome you to, to dwell with him forever. You have hit it. I mean, this is it. And so if you are in that spot, let's just, I know there are some people listening or watching that haven't made that commitment. Man, I hope we put it out there in such a way that at least uh, you're opening the door to the possibility. That's great. Maybe you need to talk to someone. We have caring Christian counselors. We have lots of resources that can help you, including a PDF called Coming Home. It'll answer more of those questions, but get in touch with us. This is why we're here. This is the core. I remember Dr. Dobson always said we can help uh, save a marriage or help a parent with a crisis in their parenting, but if we don't introduce you or introduce them uh, to the author of the family, we kind of miss the mark. So we 
live for this, and we want you to have a relationship with Jesus. So get a hold of us, and uh, likewise, get a copy of Lee's wonderful book, The Case for Heaven. And uh, if you can do that um, with a gift of any amount, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you. If you could do that monthly, it helps reach more people and help people in that way. And uh, we will send it for that. And if you can't afford it, we'll get it into your hands and trust others will take care of the expense of that. But what I'm telling you is get it, especially if you don't know if heaven is real. Well, our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. In the show notes, we'll have all the links for Lee's book, for that uh, coming home booklet that Jim mentioned. It's available online and also for any other help that we can offer you. Again, 800, the letter A in the word family. Lee, again, thanks for being with us. I'm excited. I wish we could (laughs) hang out more often. Hey, I will (laughs) hang out with you in heaven. (laughs) Let's do it for 5,600,000, whatever number you say. We'll John along. Absolutely, Absolutely. we will. Good to have you here. Great to be here. Thank Mm. you. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.